Thanks, Charlie. Doesn't that sound awesome, though? Uh, the year of community? I love this idea. Um, just want to also just thanks. I, I'm sometimes I'm just really aware when I step up here. Uh, uh, there's there are teams of people who who are and we have lots of teams of people doing things in the church. There's you know greeters. There's all there's all kinds of services and ways that people are are serving in the church. I just want to just shout out to the people who spend time praying for the Sunday morning, praying for the pe people who are preaching or leading worship. Thank you, thank you. Like you, when we come up here. Um, it's just awesome to, to sense like that, you know, the wind of the Holy Spirit behind you. It makes such a difference. Thank you for that. Um, uh, I want to just spend some time working, looking at Psalm 104. I love to do this kind of study where you just walk through a scripture, right? You just walk through it, make comment on it, and see what the theme is, see, what's, see what God is saying through it. So we're going to spend some time looking at that. It's a psalm that it's not a heavy one. It's actually a really happy satisfied kind of psalm there's they're not all like that you know some of them are really really kind of down and you got to be ready for that this morning this one is actually really a happy one uh it's about nature and creation and how that leads david we think it was probably david we're not really sure but uh it lead it leads uh david to worship um sometimes nature doesn't lead you to worship necessarily like this week how many of you lost power this week yeah, I, we still, right now, like, we got our power back, and then we lost it this morning, like, at, what, 6.30. There was just this nasty, nasty wind and rain. Uh, we're back out. I don't know what's going on this year. It's like, hydro's not, uh, anyway. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, let, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into this psalm. Uh, um, just a couple words about it first. So, so uh this this psalm actually sort of follows kind of roughly the uh, the creation story, at least the first few stanzas of it. And uh, you know, it looks like David is looking back at what uh, Moses had written about about uh, Genesis in Genesis one. Spurgeon, in his commentary on it, says this. He says uh, this poem contains a complete cosmos: sea and land, clouds, sunlight, plant, animal, light, darkness, life, death. And all of them are proved to be expressive of the presence of the Lord. Sometimes people will call this psalm Genesis 1 put to music. Um, not because there's music, but probably was at some point. Um, it's really too bad that we lost that. I would love to hear how David would have sung these songs. Just go back in time with a, with a, with a phone and record it. it would be so awesome. Um, uh, David meditates on creation and he uses poetry and imagery and all kinds of, you know, expressions of wonder and, and joy uh, to, to write how he, how he feels about it. This is not a side issue for God. Sometimes it kind of looks like that to us. It is not. God takes how we see creation and nature really seriously. Like in Romans 1, like not seeing God in creation and, and nature was the beginning of all sorts of, of sin and problems and judgment. Uh, in Romans 1.19, uh, we're, we're, we're told that everybody on the planet, every human is responsible to understand that you can see in nature, you see the, the eternal power and the divine nature of God, and you're expected to turn it into honor and thanks. And... Uh, that, that eternal power and divine nature, let's break that down. What that means is what God does and what he's like. 
what he does and what he's like. And I want to just take a minute first before we dive into this, just so you can see uh, as it comes out, uh, there's a model for worship in here. And this is really why I chose this psalm, because I, I really want um, to... to uh, to just talk about worship. How do you get to worship? What is that worship thing anyway? All kinds of aspects of worship. Some of you are so far beyond me in worship that, I mean, you just, you just, start, you just start thinking about God and you're lost and planet Jesus, and, and I love that. Um, and some of us, we really need some instruction and some help on how do we get, what does that worship mean? When I come in to, to, uh, to worship on Sunday morning, what is that? What is that thing? What do I do? Uh, how do I approach that? Uh, and so I'm just going to break down four steps that I see in this of, of, of how David turns to worship. And let's just see if it, if it comes off the, the page at us, see if it's helpful to you. If it's not, that's fine. This is sort of Chris's handy dandy, stick it on your fridge or make a t-shirt, how to worship, all right? Um, first of all, David is meditating. Meditating just means thinking about something, stewing on something, right? Uh, lots of you think, I, I don't know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate, right? Um, just thinking about something over and over again, frontwards, backwards, sideways, upside down, thinking about it. Uh, and then what he does is he turns that to thinking this, meditating on a spiritual truth, meditating on something that he finds in the Word or in nature, something in the Bible, a biblical truth, or something he found in nature. And then he turns it to what does that say about God? specifically about his power and his, and his divine nature. It's specifically meaning, what does it say about what he can do and what he's like? So he starts off with his meditation, turns it into what does that say about what God can do and what God is like? And then he allows himself, this is a step three, he allows himself to just have a normal emotional response to that. You could be thinking about the cross, you know, you're worshiping God, you're just stewing on it, thinking about it. And then, and then you're thinking about what does that say about what God is like, how it shows his, his love, how it shows his power, the resurrection. You know, you're thinking about it. And then, and then how do you respond to that emotionally? You respond to it, well, thank you, God. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for providing salvation. And, and, and it's not some sort of weird manufacturing emotions. The meditation will do that for you as you're thinking about what does this mean about God, it's just react, that's all, just respond, just don't hold back the, the, uh, a normal emotional response to what you're thinking about, and then turn it back to God and tell him. And so it's four steps of meditating, think about what does that mean about God's power and his nature, allowing yourself that normal emotional response to it, and then turning it back to God and telling it. And that's, that's what happens here about nature, okay? So, so let's go into, uh, I'm going to just read through uh, Psalm 104, stopping after each stanza. I split it up into about eight different stanzas. For each of them has a little different theme, and I'll make some comment on it, and then we'll tie it together at the end. Sound okay? Um, and we'll just pray first. Lord, I pray that you would just, just help me and help us to understand you and and to, and to go further into worship and to, and to appreciate you for, for who you are and what you can do, Lord. Thank you. Amen. All right. First stanza. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. 
covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes his clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind, and he makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. So, so in this stanza, he, uh, David look, appears to be thinking about day one of creation, where it says in Genesis 1 that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and then he created light. Remember that? Um, uh, Dave, but David does it in such a way that he's talking about God as a king. So there's a majesty component that he's laying on top of that. And David knows a thing or two about kings. Kings, what do they got? They, like, how do they display their majesty? Well, they've got royal robes. They got a palace. They got a cool ride like chariots. Uh, well, I don't know what they got now, but uh, he would have had a chariot. Um, They've got servants. And all these things uh, show that they display the majesty of a king. God doesn't have that. He is spirit. He doesn't have an earthly kingdom. And so David kind of turns all of these things, turns them into symbols. Uh, uses, he uses the, the, uh, the imagery to, say, to show God is displaying his majesty this way. So, so he's clothed in royal robes of what? Of light. Um, you know, the, you know, the song we sung, I think Gideon led us last week, uh, he wraps himself in light. Uh, it, it, of course, he's not really wrapping himself in light. It's an image, but it's a powerful image. It's, light is something he created. Physicists have been trying to figure out what in the world that means ever since. We really don't understand light the way we'd like to, but God made it like that. He's, he's, he's amazing. Um, the sky is his palace. It's a place we can't even go to. At least, I mean, we can in a certain way now. David could not then. Uh, that was his palace. The clouds are his chariot, and he moves around on them with the wind, because clouds are moved around by the wind. Uh, lightning and storms are his messengers. Um, and all of these phenomena together, they display his majesty, like robes, palaces, chariots, and, and servants would display an earthly king's majesty, but so much more impressive. And Dave's, David is just overwhelmed by this. So stanza two, verses five to nine. Um, he set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with the garment. The waters stood above the mountains, and at your rebuke they fled, and at your sound, or at the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so, that may, so they may not cover the earth again. And here, this is you know, day two and three of creation, where God did the you know, separating the water, and then, he, and then he's, he separated land from the sea. And, and David is meditating on this truth that he knows from the, from the Bible, and, and he puts the, the emphasis here that he puts on it is all about God's authority over land and sea. He rebukes the water, he assigns it a place. He sets a boundary for it. He's the one in charge. And, I mean, this is a natural process that we know of. It's called orogeny. It's, uh, it's just the movement of the tectonic plates that create, uh, that, that make a mountain. And God's in charge of that here. By his authority, he speaks and things happen. Um, uh, and I can't, you know, when I'm thinking about this, I can't help but but uh, but think of say Jesus in that you know in the in the boat with his disciples, and you know they're freaking out, and he's in the back snoring, and 
And they go, hey, wake up, man. Like, we're going to die. And he, and he wakes up, sits up, yawns, and he goes, shh. And the wind dies down, sea calms down. And they're like, what in the world just happened? But you think about it. Of course he's got authority over the wind and the waves. Of course. He created them. He's, he's that big. He's got that authority, right? And that's the emphasis you see in, the, in this stanza. It's his authority. And how is he using the authority? He's using it to create a safe place for his creatures where they can live. That, that's the right use of authority. Create a safe place for his creatures, for his subjects. I just want to take a second to look at just a side note on this verse 5. It has caused a lot of problems for the church in the past, back in the, you know, in the 1600s. And, um, he set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. Uh, this is, in the context, it's not a claim that the earth never moves. This is what we call phenomenological language. It's what's he's what he is observing is that the earth is firm, the earth is permanent, but it's not trying to speak about you know, the earth in its orbit or lack thereof around around the sun. And this, this in the past, the church, uh, say in the 1600s, actually persecuted scientists like Galileo and Copernicus who, would, who were saying, well, you know, actually the, the sun's in the center and, you know, we're going around. And, and then the church would say, would take verses like this one and say, no, 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 the earth doesn't move. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that, wasn't very helpful. Martin, it wasn't just the Catholic Church, it was Martin Luther as well. Uh, and that, that's just, it's just a sign that you really, you know, you have to be careful about taking some verses too literally, right? You know, we need to take it as really what it is. He's speaking from his observation. Um, um, yeah, so in stanza, let's go to stanza three, that's verses 10 to 13. You make the springs gush forth in the valleys and they flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field and wild donkeys quench their thirst. Besides, beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell and they sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains and the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. So after pushing back the sea, now we need fresh water, right? And, um, and so God, as a good king, provides fresh water for his subjects. And fresh water in the Middle East is a major issue, right? It's life. And that's why this takes such a, a, a major place in, the, in this psalm. Uh, if, um, he's the king over, his, over these creatures, and this is the infrastructure they need. So... But there's a new element that's kind of being added here. So far, what we've seen is, is David looking back to the past of this is what God did in creation back in Genesis. But now there's this new element that's being added here. It's where God is doing it now. Where God is, in verse 13, from your, lo your lofty abode, you water the mountains. And, and I've been thinking about this, and you can you know, feel free to disagree with me on this. This is, this is my thinking on it. Um, I, David did not have a grade six science teacher to explain to him the hydrological cycle, right? You know, with, you know, heat, evaporation, it goes over to, you know, over to the mountains, cools down, rain, all that stuff. He did not have that. 
And, and when there's a mystery like that, where he just you know, he sees this water coming from heaven, uh, it would be a normal thing to say, you're doing this, God. And let me just, I just want to take a second to talk about mystery for a second. Mystery, of, mystery in, in science and mystery in our knowledge and mystery in nature. Um, God is definitely in a way, he's in a, he, he is intimately and actively involved in creation. But I think what's going on here is, is David saying, this is where my knowledge ends and this, the rest is God. Which is a perfectly good thing to do with mystery in nature. And... Um, there's just one caveat that goes along with that. A lot of the time, like I, I've been in, in many conversations, say with, with skeptics or people who, who are having trouble believing uh, uh, as, you know, uh, just, you know, atheists or, or friends of mine who just, they look at my faith and trying to figure it out and they, and they say, well, you just keep on plugging in God wherever you don't understand things. And, you know, we did that in the past and, you know, you'd have, you know, years ago, we thought that thunder and lightning were the gods getting mad at each other and fighting, but now we know better, so we don't need God in there anymore. And, and uh, that kind of makes sense in one way, but at the same time, I have a big problem with that. And that is, the more and more we look at nature, the more and more we study it, the more and more we have mystery. <laughs> the more and more we, we go, uh, God reveals some of it, and then some of it is a big mystery. Why? Because he's just that great. And that's one of the things that, it, that keeps on coming out in this psalm. It's, it's, it's our knowledge goes to a certain point, and after that, it's all God. And, and, if, you're, and if you're skeptical on that, like um, some of you probably don't, you know, you're not, you're not uh, you don't have that science bent. I know that some of you really do. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a scientist. Uh, I'm a chemist. I'm speaking out of my lane here. I understand that, but... but but just, I just want to just show you that, that the more we study science, the more we realize this is the domain of God and there is great mystery there. Um, see, relativity came along and said that, that, that uh, the universe began with, with this singularity that exploded and is still exploding. And then quantum comes along and says, yep, that's all true. Also, it's impossible. Right? And then... Uh, you know, right now, we, we, one of the greatest mysteries in science is how do you link those two things? We're look, still looking for what they call the grand theory of everything. It's a big, confusing mystery. I don't understand it, but God does. There's a big mystery there. There's, there's a, we've got dark matter. 95% of the universe is made of dark matter and energy. We have no idea what that is. 95%, like if it was 5%, I'd be okay with it. 95% is dark matter, dark energy. We just have no clue. We know it's there. We don't have a clue what it is. Um, gravity, they say that it comes from a warp in, spa in space time. That's what causes gravity. So maybe Peter can clarify that for me. If that makes perfect sense to you and you go, oh, that, yeah, I get that, raise your hand. We'll have the prayer team come around and, and pray for you after. Like, what? Um, Quantum computing right now says that they can reverse the arrow of time and make time go backwards. Again, please raise your hand if that makes perfect sense to you. We're going to pray for you. Like, I, man, I'm lost. Like, this, this is mysterious, weird stuff. And it's because we're studying. Forget the God of the gaps. The more that we study, the more we realize that God is mysterious. 
And, and it's just part of his nature. There's, he's, um, there's a, there's a, actually one more that I want to, this is the granddaddy of all the great mysteries in, in science, uh, philosophy. It's the one that keeps me, it keeps me awake at night. Like I've had debates recently with professors, um, philosophy. This is the one, the granddaddy of them all is that the most important thing that you own is your consciousness, right? Your ability to think, your ability to be aware. What in the world is that thing? What is that consciousness? Do you ever think about these things? I know I'm a, I'm a, I know I'm a science geek, but do you ever think about this? What is that consciousness? We know it's related to your brain somehow, but it's much more than just chemicals in a vat of tissue in your skull. There's something else in there, and you know that's true. It's weird, and it's miraculous, it's amazing, it's mysterious, and it's in the domain of God. Daniel, uh, Daniel 2, I used to actually put this verse over my, my desk when I was at, in grad school. It said, praise be to the Lord, um, he knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, um, sorry, just let me find it. It says that the secret things belong to the Lord, the hidden things belong to the Lord, and the things that are revealed belong to us and our children. That means the mysteries, the mysteries are his. And, and, it's just, and that's just something that I just find so glorious. Maybe this doesn't drive you to worship. It drives me to worship. It's that God allows us to understand a bit, and, and we realize there's more mystery. He, re, he gives us a little bit more, and we see more mystery. And you go, yeah, well, that's really cool, but wait a second. Now, it, wow. So, so David, I think, is kind of lost in that, in that mystery, and it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's an awesome place to be. Um. I want to look at the next stanza, stanza four. So here we see God's generous provision for everything, especially for humans. You cause the grass to grow uh, for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees, the high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. So everybody gets a home, everybody gets food, everybody gets water, but humans here get something else. Uh, he, he mentions it twice, uh, uh, our heart is involved. He says that he gives a glad heart from wine. He gives uh, oil, cosmetics, to make our face shine. Uh, bread, which gives a strong heart. There's a next level of care that God is giving to us. Um, some of <laughs> side note on this one. So some of the translations where it says, and plants for man to cultivate... Uh, some of them say herb. So, um, uh, as story has it, this is Bob Marley's favorite verse. Um, there's a certain herb he was partial to. Anyway, another debate for another time, I guess. Um, 
he, God, the point, the point that I'm pulling out here is that God could have stopped at providing our needs, but he didn't. And I, I want that to sink in. He could have stopped at just providing your needs. Have you, as a creature of instinct, you've got to eat. Um, need, you need to reproduce. You need to, uh, you need to get stronger and have no enjoyment necessarily linked with those things. But that's not who he is. And that's what David is praising him for. There's something special about this. He's taking care of you, not just so that you survive, but that your heart is strong, your heart is glad, and your face shines. There's an enjoyment in life that God wants us to have. It's not that you want it and God wants something. Man, I just sense the... Sometimes when you're up here, um, it's, it's like you're, it's like you're a, a waiter in a restaurant, you go back to the kitchen and you bring stuff out and you're really aware that this is food that's going to really feed somebody. And um, somebody here just needs to hear, God is not just, it's not just you that wants enjoyment in life. God designed you to need it. His desire for you is that you enjoy life. Your heart is strong, your heart is glad, and your face shines. That is his plan for you. That's not something where you're fighting against God to get enjoyment, where he's holding it back. He invented it. You know, there's at least four categories of chemicals that exist in your body really for the purpose of you enjoying. What are they? Dopamine, endorphins. Um, help me out, somebody, if you're good at this. Melatonin. Uh, sorry, serotonin, uh, uh, oxytocin. That's what they're for, for enjoyment. Why did he do that? And when your taste receptors, when you have a good meal, they, they have this, go through the process and they release dopamine to make you happy. Just, we all know that, right? Just take a second, think, what does that say about the nature of God? What does it tell you about his nature? I'm slowing down here because, and I'm going to come back to this. Because we need to spend some time thinking about that. Um, okay, stanza five. He made time and seasons, day and night. Um, okay, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness, it is night. And when all, uh, when all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, uh, seeking their food from God. Excuse me. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes about his work uh, and, and to his labor until morning. So actually, what, uh, an interesting fact about this particular psalm is that about, a, about 250 years prior to it, there was uh, a pharaoh, Akhenaten, who wrote a hymn called the Hymn to Aten, who was the sun disk god, because I guess to, to the Egyptians at the time, this, you know, I mean, it's, it's a circle, right? The sun's a circle in the sky, so it must be a disk. You know, it's not a sphere. Anyway, I, I thought that was funny. But, um, um, uh, and in that hymn, well, that hymn is really structurally very, very similar to this psalm. It has a lot of same images, uh, 
except they don't come to the same conclusion. They, it's the sun disk who is God, who is the creator, and who's, who does all this stuff. And, and this, is re- this stanza right here is really a stab at that. And, he, and he's taking some of the, even the same language, but turning it back. And because if you think about it, the sun disk God, what, he's, he could possibly be God for it, um, 12 hours a day, and then the other 12 hours, he's, it's nighttime and he's not there. So, um, and, and he, uh, David is saying, no, God created everything. The sun just does what God made it do. The moon, same thing. And at nighttime, there's all kinds of critters come out. There, even the, roar, the, the lions, they come out at night. They need some food. They ask God for food. God gives it to them at night. So, yeah, forget this thing about the sun disk being God. Um, but, but it's also, uh, here we're just seeing God's, God is over all. He's over all the things that we think are God, like like they thought that uh, at, at the time in, in the ancient, you know, Canaanite culture um, uh, and Egyptian culture, the things that are in nature, the things that you can see in nature, such as the sun or the ocean, they were considered divine. They are God. Um, and as such, you could not study them, right? Because they're God. You don't study God. God is, you know, you, you couldn't like... You couldn't analyze or, you know, science would be impossible. And in fact, a lot of people don't realize this, but the Enlightenment time in Europe, when science, you know, people started, when uh, Europeans started throwing off superstition and started studying science, and uh, uh, that was a major, that was a pretty important time. Uh, What a lot of people don't realize is that they were able to do so because of Christian thought. Christian thought said, God is logical, God is not nature. God is separate from nature. But as, since he's logical and, uh, and systematic, we can study nature in a systematic way, and it'll make sense. And that was really the spark that started the study of science. Um, people like to say that science and, and Christianity have always been at odds. But if you look at history, it's not true. We study because of God. Um, there's an article in, in Wikipedia I was reading on that Christianity and science that says that modern church or modern uh, science historians will tell you that it was because of Christianity that they really started studying uh, science, which is a, I don't know. Okay. To me, that was that was important to know. Um, stanza six. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, both living, or, no, living things, both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. I don't know what Leviathan is. I didn't spend a lot of time studying it. I just sub in blue whales. Whenever I see Leviathan, I think blue whales. Um, so you've, you've got these, you've got uh, the ocean for them. It was really the most powerful thing they knew, right? It's, it's huge, it's dangerous, it's powerful, it's, it's another world where people can't live. And in that other world, there's this incredible diversity that God did. And, and when David is looking at it, uh, he can't help himself but turn back to worship. Lord, how manifold are your works? All of them are because of your wisdom. See what he's doing? He's looking at nature, he's meditating on it, and then what does that say about him? 
This is the thing that I always wish you could tag on at the end of the National Geographic videos, right? It's like, yeah, but what does that say about him? He's the one who thought this stuff up. I mean, it's amazing stuff. Have, okay, how many of you have ever seen an angler fish? Anybody? I've got one. Okay, Finding Nemo, there was one. Remember there was one in Finding Nemo? It, it's like this ugly, super ugly fish with nasty teeth. And then there was like this little rod with a light bulb on it. Remember that thing? Those things actually exist, right? I've seen one uh, in uh, the New Orleans Aquarium. It's weird, man. They've got like a little rod with a light bulb. I'm not kidding. I, the fish get attracted to them and then the, the teeth, like... Creative, man. Like, you want to see creative? Go look at marine biology. It's, there's some weird stuff in there. And, and this range of, you know, from, uh, um, from barnacles to blue whales, you got the 150-ton critters that uh, the heart of a blue whale you, is about the size, you know, it's about my height. Like, like this, he's just in awe at the wisdom and, the, and the, the power of God to create these things. And he's inviting us as the readers now to go back and be in awe of your creator. Not just look at the thing. Don't stop there. We've got this process of worship. That's what it's supposed to do, right? It's a process of worship. You think about the thing that God made. What does that say about God? React to it and then tell it back to him. So... Um, stanza seven. Uh, this one is, is interesting because it takes a big turn. So far he's talking about the, the creativity and there's a lot of joy in it. Um, uh, a joy and amazement and wonder. And now it gets serious. So uh, verse 27. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they're dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And so what stands out here for me is God is eternal and his creatures are not. He is, he is immovable. He never changes. They are temporary and fragile. And that's where we find ourselves. And so this becomes a meditation also on my own temporariness and my own fragility compared to God and his creation. And this dependence thing that you see, uh, when, when, when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. And this is just such, such an amazing... Um, it's such an important part of our focus when we're looking at, at God's provision. There's a, there's a dependence on him that we, that we have. Uh, it's why Jesus told us to, to ask him for our daily bread. Not because he's going to go hide it from us if we don't, but because we are to recognize he's the ultimate source. Um, what I'm seeing here is that a lot of the time we take God, um, put him in that box in the half hour or hour or whatever you have in the morning, and then Sunday morning, 
Um, and then the rest of it is your normal life where you don't really interact with God. I'm not saying that, that everybody's like that. We, we know that there's pray without ceasing and stuff like that. What David is doing, what he's helping us with here is bringing God into everything. Everything. There is nothing that you live in your day that, was, that God is not involved in. He's the source of it. He's happy to be the source of it. And he's, he's calling us to turn it back to him in praise. So, um, yeah. Let's look at, uh, at stanza eight where he, he turns it all back, to get back uh, he brings it all back together into worship. Now, now, he takes these things, that's in stanza one, the royalty of God, the, king, the kingliness of God, and stanza two, the authority of God, remember, over, over land and sea. Um, in stanza three and four, it was his provision and generosity. Stanza five, it was his power over time and seasons. And then stanza five, it was his bounty and creativity in the, in the sea. And then stanza seven, our dependence on him. And he turns it all back to God and tells him how he feels about it. And I just, I just invite the, the worship team to come back up. We're, we're, I have a bit of a different plan this morning. Um, what I want to do is just kind of bring us back into worship. Um, so we're, we're not going to be doing the, um, the, the Q&A time. Uh, we're just going to, we're going to head back into worship. And I just want to lead us into a response to this as we sort of train ourselves to how to worship. Um, so, so I'm just going to read this last stanza. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. And you can just feel, the, feel free to just start... Uh, Put some background in there, Ian, if you like. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. That's probably a reference to uh, the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. I told you to just keep in mind that verse 14 and 15 about how God provides not just for your needs, but also that you could thrive and enjoy life. And what I want to do right now is, is um, okay, I'm going to read those two verses again, 14 and 15. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread uh, to strengthen man's heart. And what I want to do with this now is, is I'm just going to challenge you. We're just going to take some time. I'm not in a hurry here. Just take a little bit of time right now and, and say, okay, think of something. You're not going to have to tell anybody what, what you're thinking about. It's okay. Just think of something that God created that you enjoy. God created that you enjoy. That could be in some way that he provided a job for you. It could be... Um, Going back to this, it could be a good Cabernet Sauvignon and a smoked brisket. It could be um, cosmetics are mentioned here. Um, maybe your kids are really cute and that really feeds your soul. Um, maybe it's music. Maybe it's other relationships that you have. You're just really enjoying marriage. 
find something right now, something that has that, that value to you that you really enjoy. Because we're going to do something with that now. Have you got it? Really, everybody, I'm, I'm serious. Like, let's, let's take a minute and honor God with this. Now what we're going to do is we're going to think of what does it say about God that he would provide that for me? And not just that he provides it for me, but that he gives me the ability to enjoy it. Maybe it's a hike in nature where you're just blown away by the, by the scene in, in front of you, or the mountains or something like that. Maybe it's a really good nap. What is it that God is giving, has given you that you are able to just turn it back to him now and say, God, you are good. You give to me. It's not nature. This is you. It's not just... The problem here, the thing I'm trying to avoid is taking things for granted. What has God given you that you can enjoy? Turn it back to him and say, what does that say about him? What is he like? What is he like to you? As we're doing this, you may sense the Holy Spirit adding and helping you out as you process this. Romans 8 tells us that uh, we don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't know how to worship as we ought, but the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. Let's just stay here, folks. Let's stay here for a minute. I'm not in a hurry. I really want us to catch this. God gives you the ability to enjoy things, and he gives you those things that you can enjoy them. And now, step three, let's allow ourselves to have that reaction, just the normal emotional reaction to his goodness and his power. Like I say, some of you may be sensing then the Holy Spirit adding to that and allowing you to feel his joy in it. Folks, he's good. So easy to forget. He's good. He's good. His plan for you is that you thrive and enjoy life. Some of you may really be sensing the Holy Spirit as, as, as he's helping you do this. Just respond to him. And now what we're doing is we're turning it back to him. What that looks like is, thank you, God. Just thank you, God. Thank you, God. Just thank you, God. Thanks for my kids. Thanks for food and the ability to enjoy it. Thanks for my job. Thanks for eyesight. Thanks for music. Thanks for my friendships. Just respond to him and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God.
Thank you, Lord. So this is a prayer that the Holy Spirit really strongly agrees with, and you may be, you may be sensing him adding an emphasis to that as you're honoring God. Verse 33 and 34. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. 